0: We don't always watch TV. Sometimes we read, sometimes we talk. Nah, I read and you talk. I try to work and you talk. I go to sleep and you talk. got your life arranged pretty good, but I'm still looking for a little entertainment. What are you saying? I talk too much? Nah, I'm not complaining. You got a lot to say. What's worrying me is I'm beginning to listen.
1: And make a find it about time too about not playing the NDE. It was free through all and I heard him say keep off my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick. Cause you're incapable ehems
2: Hello, my name's Spencer aka Free Thrall. This is Keep Off The Borderlands, a podcast about RPGs and stuff. This episode will mostly consist of me responding to a bunch of great calls I've received. During the course of that, I mention a few systems based on Into The Odd. EcoMofos by David Blandy and Daniel Locke, whose Kickstarter ends in about 4 or 5 days. Yokai Gowl's playtest for Cairn 2nd edition and Chris McDowell's Mythic Bastion Land playtest, both of which are available for free. I will provide links to all that stuff in the show notes. So let's get to those calls. First up, some weird dude.
3: Hey, Spencer, man, I'm a weird dude. But I just, (laughs) I wanted to call to say that's awesome that you ran a game. Uh, Yeah, End of the Odd, that's perfect. With a pre-written, especially like a dungeon crawl, that's perfect for a newbie DM. You know, you don't have to think too too much right like they're in a confined area they're not going to go off wherever even though they could but the idea is here's this dungeon let's go explore it ah man that's awesome and just barney's just awesome right like he's just kind of one of the coolest dudes out there i i wish back before i was working i we I was playing a bunch of games with Barney and stuff, and those were those are awesome days, man. Those are really cool days. I miss Barney. I think Barney's amazing. I think you are also amazing. Uh, <laughs> the Dungeon Master's Handbook, man. That was amazing with the wizard uh, and Stuart, dude. <laughs> Stuart. Anyway... The, that last thing I'll leave you with the last thing you mentioned that space is really big and you're absolutely right. Space is very big, but space is always in motion, just like our solar system is in motion. And there have been times in the past, millions, if not billions of years ago, where our sun and the protoplanets, if we weren't fully formed yet, were a lot closer to other stars than we are now. So. If there was a planet with a, you know, a civilization that was a billion years ahead of us, they realize they're going to come across this sun that has some protoplanets around it. They launch a probe out into the solar system as our two stars are close to each other. And boom, there you go, man. Then you just have von Neumann probes that repair themselves and they can basically live forever until it's time to make contact. There we go. Anyway, dude. <laughs> Anyway, have an awesome day. I'm glad you've been putting out episodes again. That's exciting that you switch platforms over to Substack. Everything is rad. And I need to check to see if the link to the episode where you ran your daughter through that adventure is in your show notes. Because I need to listen to that episode again. It was too gosh darn good. Anyway, man, you're awesome. Peace out.
2: Gosh darn. Look at you being all family friendly. Joe Richter of Hindsightless there. Thank you so much for that call. And yeah, you're right. I did take the easy way out. With that little dungeon I picked up there, I dropped Barney's characters right outside it. And yeah, just kept it as simple as possible. And I'm glad I did because he managed to get through the whole thing in just a couple of hours. And that was fine by me. Shout out to Nate Treme again for creating such awesome and accessible material. And yes, Barney is amazing. You are amazing. And yes, I really do miss those days when we were all playing together. We will make it happen again. Oh, yes. And thanks for reminding me, Stuart still needs to come up with something for the Dungeon Master's Handbook. And as for the ever-expanding universe and all these spinning, whirling planets and probes flying about, I'm starting to feel a bit motion sickness just thinking about it. We're just counting the days before uh, something bumps into us. But I'm sure you'll inform me that we've had our close encounter already. And also, thanks again for reminding me to include that link because I initially forgot That episode where I'm uh, having a bit of storytelling fun in the garden with my daughter. Can you believe that was two years ago? The episode was entitled RPG Podcast Episode A Month Day because I clearly missed our RPG A Day Month. Also, (laughs) what shocks me is it's episode 184. I think this is episode 222. What the hell have I been doing for the past two years? That's insane. Thank you so much for such an enjoyable message, Joe. Cheers. Let's see who's next.
1: Hey, Spencer. It's Michael, Chicago Wiz from Dungeon Master's Handbook. Um, Just listening to your Don't Get Mad, Get Elven episode and uh, listening to the call-ins, I didn't realize you had done an episode on the singularity and, and uh, space travel so that that would have been right up my alley <laughs> um i have a book recommendation for you actually um and it's i don't want to give away any spoilers but this book seriously changed my concept of how we are going to explore um, beyond our solar system and um It also gave me a very interesting view of what artificial intelligence and virtual intelligence might consist of. Uh, The name of the book is Existence, and it's by an author named David Brin, B-R-I-N. It is a very hefty book, but fortunately, it's only one it's not the let's write nine different books of 600 pages that you have to pay for and slog through nope just one slog one book totally worth it highly recommend it Um, i'd be interested in hearing what you or other folks if they uh, pick up this book think about how he posits we're going to deal with space travel and ai you know Being a software developer, I look at ChatGPT and these other um, language models, and it is totally a tool. It is a tool that knows how to put together words based on what it thinks you might want and with a little bit of randomness thrown in. And, you know, (laughs) yes, it can be used for certain things, but not very well yet. And I think that there's a lot that needs to happen before we truly do get to virtual intelligence and artificial intelligence. But we'll see. Uh, Climate change is roaring at us like a uh, like a freight train. And I got to wonder if these tools might help us or if we might find it's too little too late. Who knows? Anyway, I'm going to continue listening. Good work as always.
2: And uh, game on. Thanks, Michael. Michael Shorten there. Chica whiz or Chicago Wiz, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. The man responsible for the Dungeon Master's handbook. And, um, yeah, I can see why you might have thought I did an episode on the singularity and space travel. I would imagine probably Joe Richter's messages gave you that idea. I didn't actually do an episode Dedicated to those subjects in particular, I was kind of talking around the subject of AI, speculative future and different approaches to that, mainly in association with a couple of games. I've been looking at Mail Order Apocalypse and Ecomophos, which resulted in me getting all kinds of interesting feedback. Thanks for the book recommend. Certainly sounds interesting. In fact, I think Joe Richter would be particularly interested in that if he's not familiar with it already. I I wasn't aware that you're a software developer and good to hear that kind of informed perspective. I am hopeful for the future, I guess, because it's better than the alternative. (laughs) What can I say? Michael did send me another message that I believe he recorded directly into Discord because I couldn't figure out how to download it. But essentially, he's let me off the hook for our little voice-off challenge that we've been doing after my explanation that it might be a little difficult with the fighting fantasy books because he suggested I read out a section with a conversation between an encounter and the protagonist. Obviously, the protagonist is the reader, and the way it's written, it doesn't put words in your mouth. So I I guess I could have worked something out, but it would have taken a certain degree of improvisation, filling in the blanks. As it was, a couple of the encounters I thought might be good when I actually revisited them, in the books. There wasn't an awful lot of dialogue there at all. So Michael suggested I just pick something, a bit of fantasy fiction that perhaps has inspired me as a gamer. So thank you for that Michael. I will endeavour to find something engaging which will give me the opportunity to do a couple more crazy voices perhaps. Thank you very much for those messages.
0: Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Just wanted to respond to Carl's calls. And, you you know, I've heard good things about the Terminator game, but Anthony over Casting Shadows is really the expert. And hopefully Anthony will call in defense of the new Terminator game because he's much more of an expert on it. I haven't even read it, but from what I've heard mainly from Anthony, it's actually a pretty good system. I, I, I would discourage the creation of other discords. I'm in the process, you're talking about collecting, I'm in the process of purging, you know, not only physical games that I'm not playing with the idea that we're caretakers of the physical objects we have. So, you know, we're not using it or not going to use those objects. We probably need to pass them on to somebody else who's going to take care of them, enjoy them. So I'm going to be purging my physical collection and I may be purging the discords I'm on as well. Because I just don't see the, you know, aside from posting my new episodes, there are tons of discords I don't do anything else on. And so I don't know, you know, it's kind of silly for me to stay on. But as far as, I totally lost my train of thought there. So I'll have to come back if I ever re-grasp it. Um, Yeah, no clue what I was about to say.
2: Hey Jason, Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And um, yeah, defending the Terminator system, I have to say I have not looked at that game. I am not particularly interested in playing in that vision of the future, I guess. Not to say I didn't enjoy the movies, well at least two of them. Anyway, as for purging versus collecting... I assume that your collection of games far exceeds anything I have. Although, there are a handful of things I probably will never get round to using. So, possibly consider making a little shelf space there. As far as purging the amount of Discord channels you're a member of, I can totally understand that. But I do wonder why you would be against somebody creating a new Discord channel in order to find players for their games. Especially when you're quite happy to join those channels. I wonder if maybe you just want to keep Carl Rodriguez all to yourself. Let's see if Jason can recall what he was hoping to say at the end of that last message.
0: I know what I was going to say. As far as the Audio Dungeon Discord, it wasn't really created to advertise games. The Audio Dungeon Discord, as I understand it, and maybe Jason Hobbs or Jose can give a lot better insight here, but my understanding is that it is a place for podcasters, the old OSR anchorites at the time, to get together and discuss podcasting and, and their games and maybe run games together. But it was more of a, a place for different podcast hosts to get together and and discuss various things i might be off base there but that was my understanding of the the reason for the audio dungeon now it's expanded past that which is a good thing but that's my understanding of the genesis of it
2: thanks jason i may have misspoke there regarding the purpose of the creation of the audio dungeon discord I guess I was making that assumption based on what I understand Discord was created for, and that is bringing gamers together with the hope of them playing together, discussing play, and stuff like that. Also, possibly an assumption made about the the naming of Audio Dungeon Discord, me assuming that meant playing games via the audio facilities, that it provides. Sounds like you're not 100% on that yourself. But thanks for possibly clearing that up there. And a bit more from Jason.
0: It's very possible people are going to perceive me picking on Carl. And that's not the case at all. Carl wasn't the first person to split from the Audio Dungeon Discord. And I do participate on Carl's Discord. But just to make It's obvious I'm not picking on Carl. I'm going to pick on Joe a little bit. And let's talk about Joe's assertion that the players make more decisions than the Dungeon Master. And I think there are times that's probably true uh, during the session, you know, specifically. And I think there are times that may be true, but I think it really comes down to play style. So if you're running a module, if you're running a preset adventure, if you're running something that's already been pre-scripted, then very probably Joe's right. If you're running something where the GM is improv during the session and, you know, if you set up a problem and then just respond to what the players do, then the GM is involved in that creative process just as much as the players are. So I really think it depends on the kind of GM style and the kind of game you're playing. I don't think generally the GM is doing more than the players, maybe with very novice players. But I think once you get experienced players at the table and players that are engaged – I don't think you're going to have the GM doing more normally, but I think there are times, like I say, when you're improv when you're, you, you know, if you've just set up the problem and the players have now experienced the problem and they're doing whatever they want to do and you're just reacting to what they want to do, then the GM is probably making just as much as the players. Now, because there's four players, one GM, does that mean the players are making more decisions numerically than the GM? Yeah, maybe, but the gym's reacting to what each player is doing, so maybe not. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there, that I don't think Joe's crazy, and I understand what Joe's saying, and I think sometimes what he's saying is 100% accurate, but I'm not sure it always is.
2: Well, firstly, choosing to pick on a second person, rather than suggesting you weren't picking on the first person, probably reinforces the idea that you were picking on that first person. But No matter. I'm just messing with you anyway, Jason. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I don't think there's much that Joe would disagree with there. I know Joe favours modules when he's playing Pathfinder, that is. I wonder if he feels the same about playing Beyond the Wall, a game that's much more improvisational from the GM's point of view. I recently played in a series of games run by Safer, Safer Fantasy Crafting and he expressed that due to our choice of actions he was having to make up a lot of stuff on the flyer and I think he did find that extremely challenging although you wouldn't have known that playing in the actual game because he certainly didn't sound remotely flustered and I think I can speak for all the players when I say that it was a thoroughly enjoyable game. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything I can add or need to add there. And there's one more message from Jason.
0: Hey Spencer, just listened to your last episode, Mad God and don't get mad, get elven. And you know, it's interesting. If you go to YouTube, you'll find tons of GM kits and, and emergency kits and different terms for it, where the idea is if they're out and about and they get called on to run a game, that they'll have everything they need. And it's really interesting to see what people put into there. But, of course, and even Collins talked about this in the past, where, you know, he has his notebook back in the day. He'd have his his, his little kit with his, you know, tongue goons printed out and knave printed out, things like that, that he could reference and in your case, you're probably not going to be just wandering around out in public and get accosted and have to run a game. But the idea of having something handy at home is, is an interesting one. And Whether it's a file folder on the computer or you print it out and put it in a binder and having it sitting there on the shelf just to pull off. Just some pre-made adventure seeds or at least some tables to generate those seeds or, you know, pre-made rooms like, like you played with Barney. And I I think that is really useful to have, something that on spur of the moment, if somebody said, hey, I need you to run a game, that within five or ten minutes you can get started, I, I think that's a good tool to have.
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Jason. That certainly is something I need to consider. Not that I haven't previously considered it, because I do have folders on my computer full of tools little pre made dungeons and random tables and all that. The problem is I need to do a little bit of purging there myself because I've got so much material in those folders that they're no longer useful as something I can quickly open up and reference. So uh yeah I need to I need to go through that stuff, maybe pick out my favourites, the stuff that I think is going to provide the most use. As for something which I think, certainly I know Colin Spike Pit Green has in his collection, Maze Rats, whenever I see people who've put together a little kind of emergency kit of DM tools, Maze Rats is in there time and time again. So yeah, I think that's certainly something that I'll be including in mine. Thank you very much for those messages, Jason. One of the reasons I picked into the Odd for that little session I did with Barney is because that is a rule set that I have, to a certain degree, managed to internalise. So I didn't really have to reference anything there when I was running the dungeon. As I say, I reached for the Cairn Bestiary because that's a basic fantasy bestiary that statted for Into the and Directly beneath that was Nature Maze, Barrow of the Elf King, which, on reflection, I think I'd specifically left there because I'd heard Yokai Gao, the creator of Ken, talking about the fact that he'd used that particular dungeon several times for introducing people to the game, and it was kind of his go-to starter dungeon and that leads us quite nicely into the next message
4: hey spencer this is carl here calling again so i hear you talking about into the odd and then i guess you played a fantasy version of into the odd is that knave or karen i saw that we Deal in Lead, which is a game I'm interested in playing or running, which is based on it's based on sort of the Dark Tower Gunslinger by Stephen King, and it seems to be also based on that into the odd knave Karen Chassis. So what is the appeal of those games I've never played versus like BX or other, in my opinion, simpler uh games that can I guess what is it, the word? Um, simulate like a fantasy setting. What is the appeal of Into the Odd versus like Traveler, another classic, in my opinion, simple game uh, that um, mirrors or simulates a sci fi game? I was just wondering, I'm not trying to be like contentious or uh, what about it, but um, just wondering because I want to learn how to play those games at least one of them uh, in that sort of series all right thanks
2: hi carl carl rodriguez there of the geomologist presents and that is such a great question thank you very much for that and I, i really want to give you a thorough answer addressing everything you touched on there firstly i wasn't running a hack of into the odd yes I ran a fantasy dungeon, but I chose Into the Odd because it's a rule set that I know without having to really reference the book. And that is one of the main reasons why I'm such a fan of it as a system. Into the Odd does have kind of an industrial horror setting, sort of well, like a, a Dickensian gast type thing going on. But the rules themselves are kind of detached from the setting. There's n- There's nothing really about the setting within the core rules. The core rules essentially suggest what activity you'll be getting up to when you're playing the game. And that primarily is dungeon crawling. Now, the setting material in the book is very vaguely defined and the book encourages you to kind of make the setting your own. A lot of it is implied through equipment lists, the arcana, the magical items. There are descriptions of areas of the land but it's all kept very open to interpretation. I love it being implied through random tables that are in there, as well as the adventure, which has been greatly expanded in the remastered version of the rules. But as far as those core rules are concerned, the game hasn't really changed at all. There are some very, very minor tweaks, but nothing really significant. Now, you mentioned Cairn and Knave there, and Cairn is indeed a hack of Into the Odd. At its core, it uses the rules of Into the Odd. Knave is something a little different. Knave, while it is also cited as the basis for Cairn, that's very much to do with the variety of tables. In NAVE, associated with character creation and all the other random tables in there. NAVE by Ben Milton is a different system from Into the Odd. It's a modern rule set that's been kind of reverse engineered so you can play old TSR modules without having to worry about converting. That's what, that's what Knave is. It uses traditional stats. Combat is somewhat simplified. Armor is handled differently. And it uses advantage, disadvantage. Into the Odd, on the other hand, is a 3-stat system. Strength, Dex and Will, determined by rolling 3d6. Will essentially being your ability to keep cool, calm and collected. The traditional mental stats of wisdom and intelligence have been removed because Chris Chris McDowell, the creator of Into the Odd, wanted to emphasise the player skill aspect of play. Basically, these stats represent saving throws you get d6 hit points I say hit points it's HP but it stands for hit protection which is essentially your ability to defend yourself there's no to hit rolls in this system you are rolling saves and you're rolling damage and that is all you're rolling so when you're being attacked Damage is dealt, but it's not really damage. Because as your HP drops, that's your defences being worn down. And damage only really occurs once you've got to zero HP. And then the damage starts reducing your stats. Now you don't have much HP, but that's not a big deal because... As soon as combat's over, you can have a short rest, refreshments, and restore all your HP. There are rules about being over-encumbered, or being deprived, haven't got food, or you haven't slept, which essentially means you're not in a position to sufficiently defend yourself, so HP is forfeit. As far as armor is concerned, players have either one or two points of armor, and this is basically deducted from damage rolls. Armor is capped at three. Nothing has more than three armor. and That basically is all there is to it. There's not a lot about procedure. There's a lot of great advice for running the thing, but Chris doesn't really talk about procedures, and I would say... That is my only real criticism. but It's very easy to implement. you preferred prefer procedures from wherever. Another reason I really like Into the Odd is one of the few rule sets where I've read the rules, which basically take up four pages of the book. One of the few games that I can understand from reading its rules. The majority of rules... I feel that I don't really get until I get the opportunity to play. I like the way Chris writes. He's very concise and he's very to the point and he tells me just what I need to know. That's how I feel when I read his stuff. He does a blog. He does the Bastionland blog and I really appreciate the way he designs his games. Essentially, it's this sort of I may have said this before, it's this kind of Jenga approach to game design where he puts things in place and then he removes bits one by one to see what needs to remain in order for the game to still stand up. Now, Into the Odd is called Into the Odd. The ODD comes from the fact that it was originally a hack of OD&D, original Dungeons & Dragons. But there's so much stripped away from it that you wouldn't really know that. There are hacks of Into the Odd. Cairn, for example, Yokai has just released a free playtest for the second edition of Cairn. As I understand it, the rules remain pretty much the same, but, He's introduced backgrounds, much in the way they are presented in Electric Bastion Land. Chris McDowell's follow-up to Into the Odd. Now, as far as I understand it, Ken was Yokai taking Into the Odd and turning it into something that would lend itself to playing in a setting much like Dolman would giving it a folklore fantasy flavour. And he is leaning more into this with the second edition. These backgrounds obviously adding to the flavour of the world, and they are really flavourful. Lots of fun stuff going on in there. I immediately wanted to roll up a party when I looked at them, and, well, a little more about that later perhaps. So why am I more drawn to these games than, say, BX or other simpler games? Well, it's for that reason, for the fact that I found Into the Odd so easy to understand. I'm a fan of BX, you know, and OSC. I love those books. But for me, I have to say, there's still too much going on in there. subsystems and fiddly bits. You know, personally... Don't mind a bit of hand-waving. So I've got I've got nothing against any of those other rule sets. Traveller, for example. Traveller is a game I'm really interested in. It's something that I looked at back in the day, but to me, it looked like a maths book. And I think I was just put off by its presentation without actually finding out what it was all about. And even later, looking at the rules... It was one of the things that inspired me to create my own 2D6 system because I could see there was a simple system in there. But there were lots of tables and other information and I really found it difficult to find that simplicity in there. So that inspired me to create Osseus, which uh, is now kind of mutated into something I call Pith. Still a very simple 2D6 system. And yeah, what motivated me to put that together was the struggle that I was having in understanding other rule sets. Like I say, I don't doubt for a second that if I sat down and played Traveller for any length of time, it would click for me. And I find that's true for most games, even if they are rules like so you know that's why i gravitate towards into the odd and the games that built off that chassis because that chassis just clicked for me you mentioned we dealing lead, and i know there's been a lot of talk around that having rules added to it that some people have struggled with there's been a bit of debate around the gunslinger aspect of it and whether that captures what a gunslinger is all about. I don't really know because I haven't really sat down and looked for the rules myself. But as with some of these games that are based on Into the Odd, some creators have chosen to stick very close to those basic rules, just tweaking them, renaming stuff. One of the first versions of Into the Odd I played was run by Dave Aldridge. And it was a sci-fi version. It didn't change any of the rules. He simply came up with sci-fi equipment, a sci-fi background. And yeah, that was really enjoyable. Worked really well. Some people have taken the into the old chassis and bolted all kinds of things onto it. Interestingly, there's a Kickstarter going at the moment. Eco Mofos, which I've spoken about many times. That was based on a game that Chris McDowell is working on called Mythic Bastion Land, and the EcoMofos version has incorporated things from Mythic Bastion Land that Chris has already decided to remove from the playtest document. The chassis is becoming something that may look very different from EcoMofos. Thank you so much for that call, Carl. I didn't feel there was anything contentious there. I know you're simply interested in what draws me to those games and I clearly enjoy talking about it. So uh, yeah, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Cheers. As I alluded to earlier, I was reading the playtest of Yochai Gal's Cairn 2nd edition and really loved the added flavour. I mean, the original Cairn is great as a rule set. That has changed very little. But what Yochai has done is introduced a lot more flavour. He's added 20 different backgrounds Each of those backgrounds has a couple of random tables to roll on to add even more variety. Also, there's a little bit about the setting, something that wasn't really touched on in the original Cairn rules. Whereas this second edition has a bit more of an implied setting. In fact, I'll just read you a little bit of the setting, which is called the Vald. Introduction The implied setting of Cairn is called Vald. This includes all developed or settled lands, cities, towns, etc. The particular ruler does not matter. The woods surrounds and divides the kingdoms and includes anyone or anything that has not yet sworn fealty. The woods is not one forest, but all forests. The roots is a realm of mystery and horror, Underneath and does not care for the petty divisions over ground, then he expands on the woods, any land beyond the control of the noble, a city, or a town, typically wilder and less civilized, all forests are considered part of the woods, no matter how isolated the woods are populated by creatures far stranger and wondrous than humankind, fae, demons witches, werewolves, even talking plants and animals. They do not appreciate the loss of their home due to the encroachment of natural progress either. The denizens of the woods are fiercely independent, believing they are subject solely to the rules of the woods and no other. Its fierce nations, wild tribes and unrelenting elements have kept armies and scouting parties at bay. For now, the roots, remnants of the old world, its labyrinthine hollows stretching for immeasurable distances deep underground, connecting the sewers of the cities to the far flung ruins. Entrances to the roots, called gates, are scattered across the land and are usually protected or shrewdly hidden. Only the brave or foolish have dared enter the roots in search of forgotten relics or powerful spellbooks. The few that return whisper of unspoken terrors guarding those lost treasures. Folk tales recount that travelling through woods bends the nature and order of things. Stories tell of adventurers lost for centuries in the depths, only to emerge again claiming only a few hours have passed. Others have claimed to make a week-long journey above ground is just one day travelling in the tunnels beneath. Very flavorful, I think you'll agree that's going to be expanded upon as this playtest develops. Much like Knave, Character creation has a bunch of different tables you can roll on to flesh out your character, like complexion, quirks of speech, virtues, vices, stuff like that. You also get to roll bonds, which just gives you a little hook for the character. I don't want to go into details about that because, well, you know, I don't want to spoil the whole thing. Download it and read it for yourself. So as I say, I rolled up this party of four. The first background I got was a bone keeper by the name of Leda, athletic, handsome with a dull droning voice, tolerant vain, with a crow amulet, pulley, lantern, oil, stake that does D6 damage, and chains. This character immediately brought up the image of Francesco della Malt, a character played by Rupert Everett in the 1994 film called Cemetery Man. It's quite a cult, I won't say cult classic because I'd never even heard of it prior to a few months ago, but it really is one of the strangest, nonsensical fever dream type films I've ever seen, all about a grave digger, who's dealing with a zombie infestation, and it's absolutely bonkers. Um, the next character I rolled up was a cut purse called Sparrow, short grubby, with a squeaky voice, ambitious, deceitful, with a ladder, blinding powder, twin daggers, both do D6 damage, lockpicks, and a black outfit. I immediately thought of the inconceivable... Vizini, from The Princess Bride. Then I rolled up a half-witch called Vessel. Now, the characters come with a handful of suggested names. Uh, Vessel wasn't one of the names. I I misread it as Vessel, and that kind of stuck. This is a pale, tattooed character with frayed clothing. Disciplined, bitter, with a raven familiar, a spellbook an iron dagger, herb pouch, and a ghillie suit. This immediately brought to mind like a sort of an outcast, maleficent-type character. And the final character was a barber-slash-surgeon called Good Eye. Brawny, with blood-splattered clothing, speaks formally, courageous, rude, has a replacement eye that can work as both a microscope... And a telescope has an amputation knife, bandages, a leech and stained medical finery. And this immediately brought to mind the self-medicating Dr. Nicholas Van Helsing from the Cannonball Run. So a real ragtag bunch of weird and wonderful characters. Hopefully I'll find something for that little party to get up to. That's quite enough from me. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate all the messages I receive. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave me an audio message via speakpipe.com slash keep off the borderlands or one word. You can email me at spencer.freethrawl at gmail.com. You can also find me on Discord. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at free for all mastodon at three for all at mastodon.social and there's even the keep off the borderlands Facebook group and you'll find links to all those things and more at free thall.com that's with 2rs.co you can hear me in actual plays on Grizzly Peaks Radio and you can sign up to the and my Substack newsletter and I've also started putting stuff up on YouTube if you'd like to support the show you can at co-fee.com slash free all there's my itch page or you may even want to give the show a review the music for Keep Off The Borderlands is provided by the multi-talented Mr. T.J. Drennan and it just remains for me to say Take it away, TJ.